Hello and welcome to the SparkleTac Time Capsule, a weekly glance back at the weird and wonderful happenings that have made San Francisco, San Francisco. The question today, gold medals or gold records? A crooner makes a life-changing choice. It's the first week of March, 2009. March, 1956. Look at me, I'm as helpless as a kitten up a tree. Well, of course you know Johnny Mathis. The velvet-voiced crooner is a fixture of the softer side of American pop culture providing reliably romantic background music for cuddling couples for over 60 years. He sold 350 million records worldwide. His greatest hits album was on the Billboard charts for almost a decade. And at one point, he had five albums on the charts at once, a feat equaled only by Barry Manilow and Frank Sinatra. But what you might not have known about Johnny Mathis is this. The music world discovered him right here in San Francisco. And the story's even more interesting than that. His musical calling deflected Johnny from a completely different career as a world-class athlete. Johnny's family moved to San Francisco when he was just a kid. His father, Clem, an ex-vaudeville character, spotted his musical aptitude early and taught the boy every song he knew. Johnny was crazy about performing and sang wherever there was a stage, at school, in the church choir, even competing in amateur talent competitions. When Johnny turned 13, his father brought him to a local voice teacher who also saw promise in the boy. In exchange for doing odd jobs around the house, she gave Johnny classical vocal training throughout his high school and early college years. And speaking of high school, out at George Washington High in the Richmond District, Johnny wasn't known for singing so much as for his athletic skills. He became the star of the track and field team and lettered in basketball for four straight years. In 1954, he entered San Francisco State University. Though his vocal training continued, just as in high school, Johnny made his mark on campus as an athlete. His name pops up all over the sports pages of 1950s newspapers, often referred to as the best all-around athlete to come out of the San Francisco Bay Area. In that first year at SF State, he shattered future basketball legend Bill Russell's high jump record by elevating to 6 feet 5.5 inches just two inches short of the contemporary Olympic record, and a number that still ranks among the university's top 15. A fellow student of Johnny's happened to be a member of a jazz combo with a regular gig down at the Black Hawk nightclub. The Black Hawk holds an almost mythical status in the annals of West Coast jazz, having hosted everyone who was anyone during the golden decade of the 50s. Charlie Parker, John Coltrane, Gillespie, Tatum, Getz, Billie Holiday, forget it. The Blackhawk was the place. Johnny's pal knew that the star athlete could sing as well as sweat, so he invited him down to the Tenderloin for a Sunday afternoon jam session. When Helen Noga, the club's co-owner, heard him sing, she insisted on becoming the kid's manager. Just two weeks later, Johnny was singing regularly at Ann D's 440 Club in North Beach. As he worked the stage, his new manager worked the phones, trying to get her protege a recording contract. In September of 55, Columbia Records jazz guy George Avakian just happened to be on vacation in San Francisco. Helen Noga hounded the poor man until he agreed to spend an evening listening to her boy. As the story goes, Avakian heard Johnny sing just once and fired off a telegram to New York City. 
have found phenomenal 19-year-old boy who could go all the way. Send blank contracts. The executive returned to the East Coast and told Johnny to go back to school. He'd be sent for when the time was right. In early 1956, Johnny's athletic prowess was recognized at a national level. He received an invitation to the Olympic trials for the American track and field team, which would go on to compete in the Melbourne Summer Games. This momentous news had barely had a chance to sink in when another invitation arrived. This one, the promised summons from Columbia Records. There aren't too many people who have the talent and skills to even imagine facing such a dilemma. Teenage Johnny Mathis stood at the crossroads of his career, facing the single most important decision of his life. Should he pursue gold medals or gold albums? Papa Clem, the veteran performer, cast the deciding vote, advising his son to sing his way to stardom. In March of 1956, 53 years ago this week, Johnny Mathis left San Francisco and headed for New York. His first record, Johnny Mathis, a new sound and popular song, was released later that year. And the rest, as they say, is history. Though the world knows him as the man with the velvet voice, the permanent member of the Grammy Hall of Fame, and yes, the proud owner of dozens of gold and platinum records, the Bay Area hasn't forgotten Johnny's athletic past. In 1982, San Francisco State inaugurated the annual Johnny Mathis Invitational Track and Field Meet, an event which will be held for the 27th time this coming April 4th. He doesn't make an appearance every year, but once in a while Johnny shows up to recall his athletic glory days and to cheer San Francisco on. My way, and a thousand violins begin to play. Or it might be the sound of your hello That music I hear I get misty the moment you're near You can say that That's the report for the first week of March, 2009. Tune in next Monday for another time capsule dredged up from the kaleidoscopic depths, as I like to say, of San Francisco history. <laughs> I don't know why that line about kaleidoscopic depths always almost cracks me up, but it just tickles me somehow. Hey, I'd love to see you over at the SparkleTac blog, where this whole podcast has been painstakingly transcripted, if that's a word, and set up for you to make comments, ask questions, and otherwise interact with yours truly. As far as that whole interaction thing goes, the very best way, as I mentioned last week, is to join me on Twitter. Thanks for listening. Till next time.